Are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West or to strengthen the Soviet system without changing it? We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of history was from the iconic Berlin Wall speech delivered by President Ronald Reagan in West Berlin on June 12th, 1987. Reagan called for the head of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, to open the Berlin Wall, which had separated West and East Berlin since 1961. The Reagan speech received relatively little media coverage at the time. In hindsight, it's often noted as a turning point in the Cold War rhetoric, reflecting a shift that was underway as Soviet reforms and protests were pressuring the East German government to open barriers to the West. Today, we see a similar rhetorical debate surrounding the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and whether and how that rhetorical debate, as well as the actual military actions on the ground play out huge implications for our democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, March 8th. There's a lot to cover in today's review of key developments in democracy, so let's dive in. Speaking of Ukraine, a lot of implications. I know everyone is following what is happening on the ground, but I want to take a moment to talk about the dynamics of this conflict for democracy. We've seen a remarkable fast and steady unification of various democracies pushing back against Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The real question now is, will it last and how powerful will it be? You've seen a lot of commentary over the last week about people being frankly surprised and a little bit uplifted by how swift the reaction has been. Is this a turning point as we've seen the kind of march of totalitarianism, the undermining of NATO and other democratic institutions over the last several decades? Could this invasion be the spark that sees a resurgence of democratic power? Too soon to tell, but definitely something to be watching for. Another thing to be watching here at home in the United States is whether the split over Putin between Trump and most other Republicans, how will it play out? Will it last? Is this a breaking moment or an opening for different conversations within the Republican Party to emerge, or is it just a brief flare-up and then a return to support for Trump? Real open question. Trump has been really the only 
Republican of any stature who has said anything complimentary of Putin since the invasion has happened. Um, we're also seeing questions around you know, what scale will the sanctions from the United States go to? Biden has announced a ban on all Russian oil imports as a retaliation for Russia's invasion. The average price of gas has gone up. Biden's trying to warn people that it's a Putin price hike, another moment where how the rhetoric plays out will have a big impact. There's also been conversation about a bipartisan group of Republican and Democratic senators about trying to get ahead of any efforts by Russia to liquidate their gold stores, to be able to sell off gold, to be able to get around some of the economic hurt from the sanctions that are underway, a back and forth dance between the Biden administration and congressional leaders of who will go how far, how fast in pushing for sanctions. The other big dynamic and how it plays out in our political environment is around military engagement. So the U.S. just sent another 500 troops to Europe, means we're now just over 100,000 troops in Europe. Biden administration leaders have continually said they do not plan to engage in military conflict in the Ukraine. But those protestations of a lack of involvement have come before every other military engagement. So whether we will stay out of the fighting or enter in huge implications for the dynamics for this conflict and for politics and our democracy, but really too soon to tell, but things to be watching for. Another reflection, another thing to look back, um, as I talked about last week, is that the primary season got underway with voting in Texas last Tuesday. Well, there were no major surprises from the primary, no unexpected come from behinds. There are going to be several runoffs. Um, that are going to be determining critical congressional and state legislative races, as well as the Republican attorney general nomination is going into a runoff. The flip side, Abbott won by an expected landslide, and so we now formally have Abbott and Beto as the two nominees for Texas Republican governor. The other thing to look at from Texas, there's several thousand votes that are in jeopardy due to the state's new ID requirements for voting by mail. So they are, it doesn't appear at this point, although I've seen conflicting news uh, reports, but it doesn't appear that the margin of those rejected votes will be enough to affect any of the key races that people have been following. However, it's exactly the type of evidence that people have been noting is likely to be the difference for any close races around the country. And we are seeing thousands of votes that could not be counted, may not be counted because of these new voter suppression laws. The other thing now, when we think about uh, primaries, we've got the final primary uh, lineups in for the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump in 2021. Three have retired instead of running again, and six of the other seven are all facing Trump-endorsed primary opponents. So what it really means is we've got a moment in nearly all of these districts to see whether the Republican Party is going to kind of punish disloyalty to Trump and how far will that go? Some of these um, moderate Republicans come from districts that are very much swing districts and how this plays out could decide what type of candidate goes from Republicans into moderate swing districts, which could determine control of the House. So a lot of eyes are on those races in particular. The other thing in terms of control of the House that's really up from this week, last week I had mentioned the really dangerous appeal that came from some Republicans in both Pennsylvania and North Carolina to the U.S. Supreme Court. They were advancing what's really been called a pretty radical theory called the independent state legislature doctrine. It argues that state courts can play no role 
in federal redistricting because the authority only lies with the state legislature. They would argue that state courts can't rule on whether maps dividing up their states comply with their own state constitutions. They wanted to strip away power from the courts and not let them have any role in drawing congressional maps. Thankfully, Supreme Court has denied both uh, of those stay motions from Pennsylvania and North Carolina. That what that means is that the congressional maps are now set in both states. They're a huge improvement over Pennsylvania's map and North Carolina's map, enough that potentially they will impact the balance of power in the House of Representatives. You know, redistricting is messy. We are not finished with the redistricting process, but these decisions by the Supreme Court were big ones for both Pennsylvania and North Carolina, both key swing states from the presidential level on down. So those have now been decided. I think it's a great decision, both for getting to fairer maps, also for a rejection of this idea of an independent state legislature doctrine, which if it had been upheld, would have huge ripple effects for many, many other types of litigation and policy making in the future. So grateful to see that being rejected, at least at this point. Talking about other things happening in the states, you know, it's easy to focus on some of the big national issues and international issues, but we also see how very small bills have huge impacts in key places around the country. Last week in Arizona, the Arizona House passed several different voter suppression bills, restricting drop boxes, limiting voter registration, and a particularly egregious bill that violates voter privacy. Probably would be thrown out by the courts, but even getting it passed, if it goes through to the Senate and gets passed, would be horrific. Requires publishing a list of all eligible voters 10 days before an election, and five days after every election, a list of all those voters and who voted and their method of voting putting all that data out to open up for harassment, open up for unneeded and ungrounded challenges. We also saw in West Virginia, unfortunately, the effort to restore voting rights to people who were formerly incarcerated died in the Senate last week. Um, another bad piece of news in Florida, the omnibus voting bill, Senate Bill 524, passed the Senate. It's not done yet, but it is moving forward. It's not as bad as the originally introduced version, but there's still a lot of problems with it, um, a lot of problematic elements. It pushes still voter intimidation forward because it's creating a, quote, Office of Election Crimes and Security, which would oversee a voter fraud hotline, investigate possible election law violations, basically setting up a state-level harassment vehicle because even the sponsor of the bill has said there's no evidence of voter fraud, but why should we be afraid of even more security and we should take efforts to make sure we never do have voter fraud, solving problems that even the sponsor ex admits don't exist. Also increasing criminal penalties for voters returning ballots for their neighbors just to be more threatening, making it more arduous to maintain voter election lists, prohibiting ranked choice voting. Most states don't have it, but very few states prohibit it. And expanding the prohibition on private funding for any election administration expenses, including litigation costs, which is really significant because it means that basically only the government and the administration would have the ability to sue over anything related to the administration of elections. Again, that could likely be thrown out if it gets passed, but that becomes a whole nother round of lawsuits and another way of trying to deter action around fair election administrations. 
On the good news side, there's always a little bit of sunshine. In Connecticut, the legislature has heard a bill first step towards expanding the right for all voters to vote absentee without an excuse. That was something that was allowed during the COVID-19 pandemic. It looks likely that Connecticut will make that permanent or at least extend it through the next election. And then closing on a high note, very long overdue, but still a high note, is that the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was passed unanimously by the Senate to make a, lynching a federal hate crime punishable by up to 30 years in prison. Now, it's named after Emmett Till, who was tortured and murdered in Mississippi back in 1955 in a really racist lynching moment that really was one of the sparks for the civil rights movement. The House passed this legislation back in 2020, two years ago, but it failed to pass the Senate after Rand Paul objected to it. Now, he was arguing the language needed to be strengthened, but many people were angry that he was just stalling it again because there are, have been over 200 efforts to pass similar pieces of legislation. Um, but finally, it has been passed. It got unanimous support and is heading to President Biden's desk for signature. So sometimes democracy moves slowly, sometimes incredibly slowly, but seeing this pass is a moment of hope and affirmation that it can work eventually. That's what I got for this week's packed review of developments in our democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, and I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care. <laughs>